Let us pray. Shadow the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. So today begins this uh, sermon series for the summer that we're calling The Stories That Shaped Us. Uh, We designed this uh, series as a way for you to hear sermons from a variety of different people in our church, the installed pastors, the resident pastors, the parish associates, and even Glenn Miller will be preaching a sermon this summer. Now the story with that is that Glenn said, I'll preach a sermon if you'll sing a solo. (laughs) I really want you to hear a sermon from Glenn Miller. I'm not sure I need you to hear a solo from me, but I'll do it. I want you to hear from all these people about the different ways in which the stories, the stories of the Bible, the stories of our tradition, the stories of our lives have shaped each of us in the way that we've become a follower of Jesus. This is why we get into this work. We get into this work because the story has shaped us, shaped us in a way that we will never be the same again. And once you're shaped in this way, you want to share this story because you believe in the master of the story and you believe and you hope that others will be shaped by it too. So who knows what will come of this summer, this summer of stories that have shaped us but I hope something special will come of it. I've hoped for something special to come of the summer for many years. Since I was nine years old, in fact, that was the summer that I first attended summer camp. Now, I know that you've heard me talk about camp before, but there's absolutely no way that I can kick off this series without talking about it a little bit, especially since my daughter is headed off to camp today. From camper to junior counselor, from junior counselor to counselor, from counselor to director, I was in love with sharing the story that shaped me around campfires and ropes courses and chapel services and talent shows and games. It's always been a part of how I've felt God, a place where I've noticed other people being shaped by God. I especially remember that one summer during camp, I hired a counselor named Trina. Now, Trina grew up across the road from me. I knew a lot about Trina and her family, and I can tell you that Trina didn't have it easy. None of us did in that town, but Trina especially didn't have it easy, and I won't get into the details of it, but I'll just say that it wasn't about her homework or her acne or anything like that. There was something that made her life difficult. But Trina became a counselor for me that week. And like so many 
that council camp, I remember Trina having her life impacted, her life shaped as much as any of the campers did. I remember watching her throughout the week as she leaned in during times of prayer and participated during the discussions and really took in the teachings of Scripture. She was a part of the week. The story was shaping her. And she came to the end of the camp week and she came up to me and she was crying that we were leaving camp. And this is one of my counselors. And she gave me this big hug and told me that the week had changed her life. That it was a turning point for her. And I just smiled because I love that. I'm addicted to it. I felt like the story had shaped her. And I was in love with that. I... I'm in love with helping people to see what God is doing, what God is doing in their lives in a way that they hadn't seen before. Now, I'm the first to admit that I have a tough time seeing what is right in front of me. I should say my wife is the first to admit that I have a difficult time seeing what is right in front of me. Some have told me that there is actually an official diagnosis for my malady, and it's called male-patterned blindness. That's a dad joke. (laughs) Today is Father's Day, so I can fully live into my male-patterned blindness. Grace, where's the television remote? I can't see it. Could you go find it for me? Father's Day, you have to go find it. (laughs) Lily, where's my afternoon snack? I don't see it. It should be right here on the coffee table. Maybe you could find it for me. Father's Day, it's good for those of us with male patterned blindness. The Hebrews were having a tough time seeing what was right in front of them too as we approach them in the 60th chapter of Isaiah. Well, how do I get there? What you have to know about the book of Isaiah is that it's a long book and it covers a period of some 300 years. You have to know that about the book of Isaiah. This historical period spans over three different postures that the the community takes on as well. So in the first posture, it's rebuke. In the second, it's return. And The third, it's restoration. So if you want to know what Isaiah is about, that's where you can wrap your mind around it, with those three words, rebuke, return, and restoration. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah cover this period of rebuke. The prophet Isaiah roamed the streets during a time of significant political upheaval. Wars and takeovers were on the horizon, and Isaiah saw that clearly, and he took on this posture of rebuke even towards the king for failing to rely on God in the face of this doom. This is the work that Isaiah was doing during those first 39 chapters. Now, a handful of people listened to Isaiah's rebuke, and some even wrote down his speeches, but most people didn't take heed of what Isaiah was saying. And by the end of this section of Isaiah, often called First Isaiah, the Israelites are sent off to Babylon by the hand of the Assyrians, and the exile is underway. 
Now, the next section of Isaiah, chapters 40 to 55, that's known as Second Isaiah. And it concentrates on the idea, not of rebuke, that was First Isaiah, but of return. Of return. From the political side, the Persians are gaining power and they're soon to unload on the Assyrians. And rumor has it that Cyrus the Persian is going to let them go home. He's going to set them free from exile to return to Jerusalem. And so it is a time of hope in the midst of trouble. And that's where we hear that language, the language that everyone knows from Isaiah 40, 31. Well, maybe not everyone, but many people know. Those that wait upon the Lord, right? Those that wait upon the Lord will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That's second Isaiah. That's second Isaiah telling the community, you're going to go home. There's hope in the midst of your trouble. Now, chapters 56 through 66, where we find today's text. Well, if 1 through 39 was first Isaiah, and 40 to 55 is second Isaiah, 56 through 66 is third Isaiah. Wasn't a trick question. And it illustrates a people taking on a posture of not rebuke, not return, but restoration. Rebuke, return, restoration. That's Isaiah. These verses speak of a time where things are being rebuilt in the fallen city of Jerusalem. A temple is to be rebuilt. A people are being gathered up. A community is being renewed and being restored. Arise, shine, for your light has come, our text says, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It's a time of hope. It's a time for them to live into the work that God has done for them, to be restored to new relationship with one another and to God. The only problem is, it isn't. Not really. I mean, the sentiment of restoration is there, but that sentiment bears no semblance to the reality that they're experiencing as they come back together. As the people return from exile, they bring back new customs and worship practices. Some of them are even clapping in church. I know. These, these worship practices seem awkward and even offensive to other members of the community. Members of the community have married outside of the worship tradition. And while grandma is happy you've returned from Babylon, she's not thrilled with the young lady from the back country that you've brought along with you. Oh, and while it needs to be done, it turns out that rebuilding a temple is a pretty big project, a bigger project even than a tower with 77 bells in it. They have a lot of work ahead. And so as we hear Isaiah say to the community, this is a time of restoration. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The look in their eyes says something more like, yeah, I just, I don't see it. Do you see it? No, I don't see it. We, listen, Isaiah, none of us are getting this, which is exactly the opposite of what you want to hear in the middle of a sermon. None of us are getting this. But that was the same look that I got 
the following summer when I came down to camp and Trina showed up at the door. Now Trina was not able to counsel camp that summer. She was going to be married the following October and so she needed all the hours that she could get as a CNA at the nursing home. But the night before camp began, something tragic happened. Trina's 19-year-old sister was killed in a car accident on a country road. Both she and the driver were drunk. Now the next day, one year to the day after Trina arrived as a counselor at Camp at the Eastward for the very first time, Trina arrived to the camp again, but this time not as a counselor. This time she was there as a person with no place to go with her pain. This time she came not with a bag on her hip, but her sister's nine-month-old baby clinging to her side. An orphan. I'll never forget the look in her eyes. The look she gave me as she walked in. Where is it? This light. The one you told me about last year. The one I believed in. I don't see it. I gave her a big hug and she came in and she sat down and we went through the accident and we talked about how her family was doing and we mostly just sat there and we took in these big sighing breaths together by the way that's all you ever need to do just take in big sighing breaths with another person and you're giving them just about everything you can give them in a moment like this don't think you have to be or do something more than that to be light to them. Tears leaked out of Trina's eyes and she wiped them away with the edge of her finger. And then her eyes took on a new resolve and she said, I'm going to keep her. And she looked at this baby. She's only 21 years old and she says, I'm going to adopt her. She couldn't see it. The light that I wanted her to see, I, I was so proud of. I was so happy about her seeing the year before. She couldn't see it. The love that I love helping people find. The story that shapes us. But her story was helping me to see it. Was helping me to see the light that Isaiah is talking about. It is uncanny how the least likely people in the least likely places will help us to see what Isaiah wanted the Hebrews to see when he said, Arise, shine, for your light has come. This is a period of restoration for you in your life. Arise, shine, for your light has come. I hope someone in your life is that person for you that helps you to see the light, that same light that Isaiah wanted the Hebrews to see. Think about the people around this place like Dennis 
we celebrate today. How he has helped people to see. On Christmas Eve, he helps us to see the same way that the angels help the shepherds to see. He does it from on high. On Easter morning, he helps the whole community, anyone that can hear. He helps them to see that Jesus Christ is risen today. Ah, ah, alleluia. After weddings and funerals, he has helped us to see that the sound of God's commitment to us resounds through it all. Over the summer, the young people that stood before you just a few minutes ago, they're going to help others to see that the light has come. That's why we send them out. That's why you're going somewhere. Remember that. Everyone with one of those t-shirts on, that's why we're sending you out. So that you can see that the light has come and you can show others that the light has come as well. You will too, you know. You will help someone to see. You never know. And by the middle of that camp week, the one that began with the tragic death of Trina's sister, she and her fiancé, Mark, were at the camp again. This time they were with both of their families. Their wedding, the one planned for October, was moved up to that week because the court insisted on it in order to start the adoption process. And so there I stood in the outdoor chapel amongst all the hemlocks and they were walking up towards me and their family's eyes were all still red, crying over the loss and they were married right there. Something that never would have happened without the summer before and the story that shaped her. And her story shaped me, and I hope that by telling it in some way, it shapes you too. That little baby now, all these years later, is thriving in their home as a younger brother and sister now. And Trina's now husband, Mark, he treats them all like they're his own, like any good father would. You see, when he was 20 years old, he didn't have male-patterned blindness. He saw what needed to be done, and he did it. There's so much light in the world. Arise and shine, because all of this, what we do, it's worth it. And some days, the story that we share, the way that we share the story that shaped us, has a life and death difference to make in this world. Just share the story, the story that shaped you. Amen.